0: Well, I love stories about prayer and God's power over nature. One of my favorites is an ancient uh, Jewish legend that's become pretty familiar around Southwoods. And if you're around Southwoods and you don't know this story, you need to know the story because uh, it's, it's a powerful one. You know, during the first uh, century B.C., a devastating drought had threatened to destroy a generation, and it just happened to be the generation just before Jesus was to be born The last of the Jewish prophets had died nearly four centuries earlier. Miracles at this period of time were distant memory. God was uncharacteristically silent. It's that intertestamental period between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New. And God was silent during that period of time. But there was one man, an eccentric sage, who lived outside the walls of Jerusalem, who dared to pray anyway, and his name was Honi. And even if... The people could no longer hear God. Honey believed that God could still hear the people and that God still cared. He was famous for his ability to pray for rain. I've wondered lately if he's been praying in our time. (laughs) But on this particular day, Honey earned a new name for himself, praying for rain. With a six-foot staff in his hand, just think about that, a big staff, And a thirsty crowd looking on, Honey began to turn like a math compass in front of everyone. His circular movement, the staff in the ground, circular movement was quiet, it was methodical, 90 degrees and then uh, 180 degrees and then 270 degrees and finally 360 degrees. He spun etching a circle in the soil. He never looked up as the crowd looked on. It was as though he was present and they were not. After what seemed like hours, but it had only been seconds, Honi was standing inside the circle that he had drawn, and he dropped to his knees and raised his hands to heaven. And with the authority of the prophet Elijah, who had called down fire from heaven, Honi called down rain. Lord of the universe, he prayed, I swear before your great name, I will not move from this circle until you have shown mercy upon your children, he prayed. The word sent a shudder down the spines of all who were within earshot that day. It wasn't just the volume of his voice, it was the authority of his tone. There was not a hint of doubt the prayer didn't originate in the vocal cords like water from an artesian well. The words flowed from the depths of his soul out his mouth. His prayer was resolute, yet humble, confident, yet meek, expectant, yet unassuming. And then it happened. As he sat there, kneeled there knelt there in the circle, and as a prayer ascended to the heavens, raindrops began descending to the earth. There was an audible gasp that swept across the hundreds of congregants who'd encircled Honi. Every head turned heavenward as the first raindrops fell from the sky, but Honi's head remained bowed, and the people were rejoicing over every raindrop, but Honi wasn't satisfied with a sprinkle. Still kneeling within the circle, Honi again lifted his voice over the sounds of their celebration, and this was his prayer, "'Not for such rain have I prayed,' but for rain that will fill cisterns, pits, and caverns. To everyone's amazement, the sprinkles quickly turned into torrential downpour that eyewitnesses said no raindrop was smaller than an egg in size. It rained so heavily, so steadily, that the people fled at that time to the Temple Mount to escape just the threat of all the floods that were beginning to happen. Pony stayed and prayed inside his protracted circle. And he once more refined his prayer, his bold request this way. Not for such rain have I prayed, but for the rain of your favor, blessing, and graciousness. And then like a well-proportioned sun shower on a hot, humid August afternoon, it began to rain calmly, peacefully each raindrop, a tangible token of God's grace. And as the crowd looked on, it didn't just soak their skin, their spirits were soaked with faith and hope. After quenching their thirst, the crowd dispersed. The rainmaker returned to his humble home in the outskirts of Jerusalem. Life returned to normal. But the legend of Honi, The circle maker had been born. You know, multiple multiple ancient historians tell us about Honi and his faith. I mean, they tell us. Josephus, one of the great historians of old, describes Honi with his Greek name, which I can't pronounce. But he describes him, and other historians write about him. But the Bible doesn't really say anything about Honi. It's that period between the Testaments where it was quiet and. God was silent. But it's fascinating to me as I reflected on this over the years. The Bible tells us about the person that Honey most likely learned his faith, his courage, his prayer life from. And it was uh, an individual named Elijah. Some of you are familiar with Elijah. On one occasion, Elijah prayed at God's command that it would not rain and it didn't rain for three and a half years. It's pretty amazing. After the three and a half years passed, God told Elijah, it's time for it to rain. Pray for rain. And so Elijah prayed for rain and did that at God's instruction. And First Kings eighteen forty-one and following tell us this episode when he began to pray for rain. And, Elijah says to King Ahab, the passage says, Go get something to eat and drink, for I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. It is one of the first recorded accounts of a meteorologist here, one of them. Uh, there's another one older, but this is, this is one of them. It was Noah. But uh, this one, this is pretty amazing. I hear a mighty rainstorm is coming, Elijah told Ahab. And so Ahab went to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel and bowed low to the ground and prayed with his face between his knees and then he said to his servant, go and look out toward the sea. Now, just a little little point of information here. I've, been, I've stood on the top of Mount Carmel before. If you're in the right spot, you can see the Mediterranean Sea. You can see it from there. And so this is what's going on. Elijah climbs to the top with his servant. He tells his servant as he's praying, go look, to the west, or go look west. See what you see. Tell me what you see. Verse 43 continues, it says, A servant went and looked, and then he returned to Elijah and said, I didn't see anything. Seven times Elijah told him to go and look. Implication, this whole time he's praying, he's he's petitioning God for for rain. Verse 44 says, Finally, the seventh time his servant told him, I saw a little cloud about the size of a man's hand, kind of rising from the sea. Then Elijah shouted, Hurry to Ahab and tell him, climb into your chariot and go back home. If you don't hurry, the rain will stop you. And soon the sky was black with clouds. A heavy wind brought a terrific rainstorm. And the passage goes on to talk about how Ahab headed for Jezreel, and it was a torrential rainstorm. Here's why I've begun with these two weather-related events, not because it's been raining a lot lately. It really doesn't have anything to do with it, though it is interesting and coincidental. But here's why I share this. If God's prophets could influence nature, wouldn't you expect that God's Son would be able to do the same? Of course you would. You would think that He could. And in today's message and in this series that we're beginning today, I'm titling it, And We Beheld His Glory, which is actually a phrase out of John 1, but... As we begin this series and today's message, I want all of us to better understand the nature and identity of Jesus. It's important that we get this really clear in our heads because we have amnesia about this. We, we know these things. We forget these things. We, and what we half believe or don't remember does have implications for us. It affects our faith. And so, in this series, I want all of us to better understand and remember the nature, the identity of Jesus. He's more than just the guy next door to you. He's more than just a wise teacher. He's more than just a holy man. One of the incidents in Jesus' life that highlights this so vividly to His disciples, and I think will to us this morning, is recorded in Luke chapter 8. If you have your Bible, I want you to look at that passage with me this morning. It's important that we get this. There's many passages we could look at that would help us to just recognize that Jesus was sort of in a category, a league of his own. But this is just a, a fantastic passage in Luke 8, verses 22 to 25, and it sort of relates in some ways to what we've been talking about this morning. You'll see that as we go. But Luke 8, 22 to 25, we're going to look at these verses together and reflect on them for a few minutes together so that we get a good picture of who Jesus is, who it is, this one that we follow, that we revere and worship. This is what the passage says in Luke 8, starting verse 22. One day Jesus said to his disciples, Let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and started out. As they sailed across, Jesus settled down for a nap. Soon a fierce storm came down on the lake, and the boat was filled with water, and they were in real danger. Disciples went and woke him up, shouting, Master, Master, we're going to drown. And when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind in waging raves. And suddenly the storm stopped and all was calm. And then he asked them, Where's your faith? The disciples were terrified and amazed. Who is this man? They asked each other. When he gives a command, even the wind and the waves obey him. This is a rich passage of Scripture, but two important questions were asked in this passage. Both of them show up in verse 25 in particular. The first question that I want to draw your attention to was asked by the apostles about Jesus. I mean, they're simultaneously, when Jesus speaks to the wind and the waves and they stop, everything becomes calm. They're simultaneously, notice they are terrified, which is like scared to death, and amazed at the exact same moment, and they ask the question, who is this man? Now at this point, they've already been walking around with him for a while, so they're not asking what's his name. I mean, they know who he is, but they're in utter shock and awe at who this person is in the boat with them. After all, the wind and the waves obey him when he speaks to them. The prophets of old would have to Pray seven times sometimes to plead for rain or something like this. This man speaks. It happens. Who is this who just speaks to the wind and the waves? Now, Jesus' apostles eventually discovered the answer to their own question. And in some respects, they knew it. They knew the answer really at that point. But they were still coming to peace with it in their spirit because it was just... It blew their minds to think that we're walking around with this individual. But I want you to listen to who the apostles describe him as from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 19. I read a few of those verses from Colossians 1 a few minutes ago. It's not going to be on the screen. I want you to listen. Don't even turn there. Feel free to write it down. It's a great passage. I would commend it to all of you. But I want you to listen carefully to the description that the apostle Paul gives to Jesus here. This is significant. It says, Christ is is the visible image, the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation, the passage says. For through Him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see, the things we can't see such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else. And he holds all of creation together, Paul writes. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He's the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he's first in everything. And then he concludes this little Segment that I want to share with you with this verse. For God in all his fullness was pleased to dwell in Christ. I mean, think about what he's saying right there. God in all his fullness was pleased to dwell, to live in Christ. Who is this man? He's the fullness of God in flesh. walking among us, eating like we eat, sleeping like we sleep, of all things, taking a nap in the passage. Periodically, the glory of who he really was shows up. And it's interesting that it shows up in the midst of a storm because God does care. He does care about you and me. He doesn't like it when our life is threatened. It's not really his intention. Can I make a couple of quick points of application here when you consider who this man is? I won't camp on these, but I just want to highlight them, leave us something to think about. If nature obeys Jesus' word instantly, shouldn't I? shouldn't you? Some level we speak of nature as being less intelligent than all of us, and yet you could argue that it must be smarter than we give it credit for if it knows to do exactly what he says. Another thought. Since Jesus has power over nature and all things visible and invisible and all that is created has been created by him and for him, whether it's thrones or rulers or powers in the visible or invisible world, all all this was created by him and he's first supreme over all of it. Do you think about that when you pray to him? And you got a storm going on in your life. My encouragement to you this morning is remember who you're praying to. All he's got to do is speak the word. Speak to the storm. Things can radically change in your life and mine. We're not in charge of him speaking to the storm, right? But he's invited us by His presence, to petition Him to do these things. So just, just remember who it is that you're praying to. There's a second question in Luke 8, in that passage, though, that's a very important question. And maybe you noticed it, because in verse 25 it says, Jesus, it was Jesus' question to the apostles, to the disciples. He says this, where is your faith? You know, the prophets of old, if you think about this, with the prophets of old, they exercised their faith on behalf of the people or behalf of God's request, that kind of thing. But part of what is unique about Jesus is this. He wanted to inspire and multiply faith in all who would follow him. You could argue Elijah spent most of his time multiplying faith in Elisha, his protege, protege. Jesus was multiplying faith, inspiring it in the 12, in hopes that the 12 would do it in the 72, and that it would, 72 would spread to 120 in an upper room, and that 120 would spread by the Spirit's coming and presence to the entire population of the earth all of God's children all created by God it was his dream when jesus asked the apostles where is your faith on some level he was poking at that a little bit i want you to think with me what do you really think jesus meant when he says where's your faith Maybe he meant that the disciples should have trusted that everything would have turned out just fine, just leave me alone and let me sleep. That may have been what he meant. Maybe maybe that's what he meant. I personally don't really think that was primarily what he was driving at because Jesus was not given to sleep. He spent many a night fasting and praying all night long. I I just don't think that was a high priority. It was important. But not, a high, not as high a priority as it is to some of us, I just don't think. So if that's not what Jesus was primarily driving at, maybe what, is, what another option or two? Perhaps he meant, meant that the disciples should have considered rebuking the wind and the waves themselves. Or at least ask the Father. At least Pray. At least seek God for his intervention. Even in something that's just a natural, physical thing. lest you be tempted to quickly dismiss this idea, let me remind you of James 5, verses 16 to 18, which says this. And this probably will help all of this begin to tie together for you. The brother of Jesus writes, The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. And then he illustrates his point this way. Elijah was just as human as we are. And yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. And then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. Here's what I want us to think about. Jesus didn't come to make you and me timid and dependent. He came to save us and to make us faith filled and fearless followers of God. He wanted us to be faith filled and fearless followers of God after He'd saved us. That's what He wants us to become. Maybe this week, because of who we follow, you and I ought to take a step or two in that direction. Maybe you need to evaluate the circumstance of your life, and there's some opportunity for you to take a faith filled, fearless step in a given direction. And the Spirit of God is saying, Come, come to me. And for you, it's like Peter who's sitting in the boat, and Jesus is doing another one of his things. He's walking on the water. That defies logic. Normal people don't walk on water. And I would agree, normal people don't. But Jesus, remember what he said to Peter? Come to me. And the real miracle was not that Jesus was walking on the water. The real miracle was that Peter walked on the water. That was the real miracle. But Peter's just like you, just like me. It's like we walk on the water a little bit and we go, what am I doing? And have our little freak out moments and uh, we begin to sink. But just like Jesus spoke to the storm here, Luke 8, just like Jesus reached out and grabbed Peter and pulled him up, He'll reach out to you and me and He'll pick us up too. Not because we deserve it, but because He loves us. Because He loves us. So I wrap up here this morning. Maybe this morning you just need to commit yourself to becoming that kind of follower of Jesus this week. Maybe you've been that and you've kind of gotten sloppy about that. Kind of forgotten it. You've been living by faith or by sight and not faith. And, and this morning, the Spirit of God is asking you to just walk with me. Trust me. Live a little more fearlessly. Maybe uh, some of us need to invite Jesus into our hearts and lives. We need him to save us. We need him to forgive us. We need him to cleanse us. It's what he died on the cross to do, but that has to be applied to our lives. What do I mean by that? You just need to ask Jesus, come into my heart my life. Forgive me. Cleanse me. I want what you did to apply to me. I want to die to self and live for you. And maybe that's what you need to do this morning. Maybe some of us this morning, we've got things going on in our life, some tests that we're going through. And what we really need is we just need somebody to pray for us about that. It's like we maybe just don't have faith to believe God can work all the details out on our own, but... Maybe the faith of another can bolster us, strengthen our faith. And this morning, you just need somebody to pray for you. We can do that. We'd be honored to do that for you. We all need that at times. Maybe some of us need to demonstrate our faith through baptism as the Bible teaches, where we're, where we're physically saying, I'm dying to self and going to live for you, Lord Jesus. That's what baptism is really about. Maybe you need to do that. You know, a few weeks, uh, the 20th of August, we're going to be baptizing some folks, maybe, maybe some of you. Uh, who haven't said anything. Maybe, maybe God's saying to you this morning, you need to follow me. You need to be fearless. Because what's been holding you back, you know you need to do this, but you just like, you're scared of water. Or you're scared of somebody seeing your hair messed up. Or some other thing. And the Holy Spirit is just saying, "You know, come on. Lay that aside. Trust me. Follow me. Maybe there's something else that God's talking to you about this morning as we're doing this. But as we walk with Jesus, let's keep in mind who it is we follow. And as we head into this series in the next few weeks, I just hope that you'll keep your eyes open and your heart receptive to what God wants to remind you about who he is. Because when you get a clearer vision of who he is, you will simultaneously get a clearer vision of who you and I really are and our inheritance from our Father. Let's stand together and close in prayer. Glad you made it this morning. If you need prayer, need to respond in one of these ways, just come on up here afterwards after we pray and be happy to talk with you more about that or pray for you, whatever, all right? Let's bow our heads. Glad you made it. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that you're merciful, that you're mighty, and that you love us. Only the true creator of all of us would die and suffer as you have for ones like us. Someone of lesser motivation would just not do that. But you made us from the beginning, and you have a vision for our lives, and you have purpose for us. And you've demonstrated that you've chosen us at the cross. And God, would you help us this week to demonstrate that we've chosen you by following you. By walking in faith and not fear. By endeavoring to obey you and not chart our own course. And we'll give you credit for the good that results. And we'll celebrate your kindness and goodness all the days of our lives and throughout eternity. Go with us now as we leave this place. May we walk in the power of your spirit and in faith. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.